0: Welcome back to the podcast series from Square Mile, behind the scenes hosted by me, Jock Glover, the Strategic Relationships Director here at Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. As you know, in this series of podcasts, we meet members of the investment teams from across the asset management industry whose funds we rate, and we spend 15 minutes or so talking to them and getting some insight into their thinking. This week, our guest is Dan Carter. He's a portfolio manager at Jupiter Asset Management, And he and Mitesh Patel run the £960 million Jupiter Japan Income Fund, which our analysts have awarded an A rating in our Academy of Funds. The fund looks to deliver long-term capital growth and rising income distributions from Japanese equities. Dan, welcome. Hi, Jock. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's nice to see you. I'm going to ask a few questions and we'll just have a bit of a chat about life, Um, but Perhaps we'll start with uh, the fact that listeners uh, of the podcast may not immediately think about Japan as somewhere uh, as an equity market that provides a good yield, and and some of them may only have a small percentage of their portfolios allocated to Japan. Do you want to quickly make a case for why people ought to think about Japanese equity income?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there are broadly two arguments. So the first thing is, is that I have to accept that actually if you're if you're looking to maximize your income, then a very substantial allocation to Japan might not be the way to go because as a market, it is a kind of mid-yielder. It's about two and a half percent dividend yield on the Japanese equity market. On a fund like ours, which is a an income fund, a Japanese income fund, um, clearly we're going to have a premium. So we have around about 2.9 or maybe 3% dividend yield on the fund. So you are getting a premium there. Um, but compared to some other higher yielding markets that we know around the world, Japan is unlikely to be the most obvious answer to maximizing yield. So we we, we totally accept that. However, there are a couple of things I think about Japan that make it particularly interesting from an income perspective. Um, one is, is just the, the direction of travel. So Japanese companies... Are not particularly generous from a shareholder payouts sort of perspective. If we look at the overall dividend payout ratio in Japan, um, it's somewhere in the 30s percent. So they keep around about two-thirds uh, of their cash. They pay out, of course, a little bit in, in terms of share buybacks. But, but the dividend uh, payout ratio is, a, is around about a third of total, uh, total profits that are generated. That can obviously go up. And it should go up because Japan's very financially sound, um, and therefore I think that we should expect growth in dividends to be very positive for Japan into the mid to longer term. So that's one thing actually that that distinguishes Japan from the rest of the world. The, the other thing is a little bit more nuanced, and that is really that is really about the the, the diversity that we have within Japan within the high. Or certainly mid yielders so because Japan is a very inefficient equity market because price doesn't you know isn't isn't discovered very rapidly because the market doesn't clear very quickly you can have some conspicuously high yielders with actually pretty attractive growth prospects and vice versa, which I don't think is true so much in in other markets. I think it is much more a sort of iron rule that elsewhere, if you're looking for higher yielders, you're definitely going to be getting low growth. In Japan, we do find, and we particularly like to seek out and invest in, those businesses that we think can offer some growth in terms of their earnings, as well as that high yield. So I think that also just makes japan look a little bit different from um from other certainly other developed markets from an income perspective and i think that's interesting so
0: so when you're putting your portfolio together what's that sort of blend that you have there between the traditional lower growth high yielders the lower yielding dividend growers and, and the high yield high higher growth companies i think that's the the buckets you've sort of alluded to that you could have yes yeah so so there's definitely a spectrum
1: and that spectrum goes from high yield with a relatively low level of growth down to you know low yield with a high level of growth i mean that that that, that is you know that's broadly what one would expect and it is what you see within the fund however what we're trying to do in all of those buckets is just sort of beat the market on what it wants us to receive so where we are investing in businesses which are particularly high yield, and just put some numbers on this. Around about forty percent of the portfolio is in the top ten highest income generating names. Um, so that's forty percent of the of the of the positions um, in terms of um, in terms of the the uh, the income generation. Um, that is around about 65%, so around about two-thirds of the total income comes from that 40% of the portfolio, which is in the highest yielders. Um, When we're investing in those, we also want them to be faster growing than you would expect. So they're not going to be rapidly growing businesses. We're talking about telecoms companies. We're talking about financial companies. Um, but we do expect them to grow more rapidly than you would expect for the amount of yield that that they're getting. As we go down that yield spectrum, clearly the growth expectations go up, but those growth expectations should go up more rapidly than the yield expectations go down. So in each of these buckets, we're trying to beat the market. We're trying to get more income for any amount of growth or more growth for any amount of income. The bucket that we particularly like to talk about are those names which are, are simultaneously premium growth and premium yield. So this is where the that, that market inefficiency is particularly, uh, particularly sort of egregious. Um, and these are typically businesses that are a little bit more cyclical. They might be a bit techy. There might be reasons why the market doesn't like them on a short-term basis. That means that the stock's been sold, the price has gone down, The yield has increased as the as the capital value has been compressed. Yet, over a mid to longer term perspective, those businesses are still really spectacular growers. So, we we like to get those sorts of names in the portfolio as well. Um, However, because of their nature, because of their sort of slightly more cyclical nature, and because they don't you know they don't grow on trees, there are limited supply of these things. um, We have a relatively smaller portion of the fund in these. So if we have 40% in really high yielders, we've got maybe 10 to 15% in these premium yielders and premium growers. Um, And then the remainder of the portfolio is gonna be in premium growth businesses for which we are giving up as little yield as we possibly can. So it's all about those incremental gains, trying to beat the market on uh, on those yields and growth characteristics.
0: You, you mentioned there that you've got uh, financials and telecoms in sort of the the more traditional income type part of the portfolio. You've got some niche sort of te- technology type names. What what are the what do you find there's a key theme running through your portfolio when you're building it, or is it just uh, you're finding opportunities right across the spectrum or across the the the, the universe? It,
1: it is broadly the latter. So we are not a highly thematic fund. However, what we do find is that inevitably there are some themes which run through the portfolio. And the reason for that is because where there are commercial opportunities in Japan, so where businesses can grow, where they can make money and where they can increase their payouts to shareholders, you know, there's some commonality there, right? There, there There are common reasons that can create those opportunities for multiple companies. So there are some themes and uh but what i would say is that the skill applied i believe is in determining which companies are 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 best exposed to those themes rather than in the identification of those themes in themselves so just to give you one one sort of really obvious example is the the demographic problem and the demographic shift in japan right This is the theme that I've been looking at for the entirety of my career to date, for almost 20 years doing Japanese equities, and this has always been a theme. It will be a theme for the entirety of the rest of my career doing Japanese equities. So this is not new, and this is not a novel thing to mention. I mean, it's it's something that everybody knows about, but working out what that means and how you play it is where the skill is.
0: And that demographic theme is that the Japanese population is getting... Older and older and older. There's not enough youngsters coming in to replace the old guys who are then living longer as well.
1: Yeah, that, that that that's exactly it. Sorry, I should have I should have made that clearer. But but yes, it is the fact that Japan has has a peaking population, or rather, the population actually peaked about about 10 or 12 years ago. And it's got an aging population as well. So it's a it's a it's the total number of people going down and the proportion of those people that are young. Is going down. The proportion of those people that are relatively older is going up. That's got really profound implications for doing business in Japan, both good and bad.
0: Okay, so um, what keeps you up at night then, as a portfolio manager running Japanese equity income strategy? What what is it that you worry about the most? Not a lot, really. I mean, I, I try and focus very
1: much on the things that that myself and Mitesh can control and I try not to worry too much about the external sort of risks and threats i think i th- i think that the the one that i struggle to keep out of my subconscious the most is is actually just the creeping risk of japanese irrelevance so you know we are, we are constantly um we're constantly sort of framing japan as As a as a market which clients should be looking at, that it is going to be in their best interest to look at, and I truly believe that. I mean, I think absolutely, clients should have an allocation to Japan. I think it's an area of enormous opportunity and importance. But the fact that we even have to have that conversation, you know, as a as an as an active equity manager in Japan, is kind of worrying. So I think that that. That it's not a it's not a, a single incident or risk that I sort of worry about, but there is that risk of of creeping irrelevance for Japan, which is, I guess, the thing that plays on my mind a little bit more than most.
0: So, if you were sat in front of an investment consultant at the moment who said, "I'm going to recommend my clients go to a zero weighting in Japan," what would be your your counter argument to doing that?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a few. It's a few. I think. I think the most important one really is that you know, even though the demographics and therefore the the, the overall growth rate for Japan as a country does not look hugely positive, actually the corporate sector is in really fine health. Right. You've got a corporate sector, which is extremely financially stable, has tons of cash sitting on its balance sheet, very, very little financial risk, therefore, um, and at the same time, is becoming more and more profitable every year. And I think that's a really nice starting point if you're going to be investing in equities to have a, a, a very stable and increasingly profitable corporate sector that you can be dipping into. So I think that's that's the one thing. And then and then the I guess the sort of second question that I often get asked is, well, why don't I just make an allocation to you know, an ETF to some sort of index fund? And you know, my answer to that and you know clearly I'm sort of slightly further in my own nest here because I'm an active manager is that you know Japan is I think the least efficient major developed equity market in the world. If there is any market that you want to be a stock picker in where you want to be an active manager, it's Japan. And that's backed up by I think all of the stats on um on the 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 rate at which the market clears on the proportion of funds which can outperform the index, all of that kind of stuff suggests that you've really got to be active. So I think you've got to be there and you've got to be in a stock picking fund. But then again, I would say that.
0: Thanks for that. Um, Now, you've mentioned uh, a whole lot of statistics there that uh, back up uh, why you should think about Japan. But do you have an interesting statistic from this week uh, uh, that you'd like to just share with the listeners and the reasons why you think it's interesting? uh
1: yeah i think i'm not sure this one snuck in quite in this week but certainly in the last sort of few weeks we've seen just to go back to the demographic thing we've seen some data on that we've just seen that um illustrated again um the number that i saw was that the total population in japan declined last year by more than half a million people um and broadly that was around about three quarters of a million fewer Japanese nationals and maybe a couple of hundred uh, foreign nationals coming into Japan. Um, That's the 12th consecutive annual decline. It's the biggest decline on record since records began in 1950. Um, It means that the population or the proportion of the population which is 14 or under in japan is now under 12 percent the proportion of the population that's 65 or over is 29 percent they are respectively historical lows and highs so they're, they're they're very stark numbers um they're not new numbers they're just a sort of slightly amped up version of what we've seen over the last 10 or 12 years but but the fact that that trend is not just continuing but accelerating is important, and it has profound implications for people like me. Right? It means that there's a significant headwind to consumption in Japan on a mid to longer term perspective. You should probably think about that in your portfolio, which is why we've got no retailers, no restaurants, no leisure companies, etc. Um, but it also means that your labour market is structurally tightening. So maybe you want to be thinking about that. Maybe you want to be thinking about what that means for the ability for companies to to fulfil work that they they plan to do, you know, how are they going to fulfil positions? Um, are they going to be relying upon third party labour providers? Are they going to be investing in their businesses to increase labour productivity? We think they will be. So again, you know, you expect to see all of those things in our portfolio.
0: Um, that's been absolutely fascinating. Um, we're running out of time. Um, so uh. I think all that remains is for me to say to you, thank you very much indeed uh, for your thoughts and your insights tonight today. Um, and to thank the listeners for their support. Uh, as I always say, if you'd like to contact us, please do so uh, either through our webpage, which is www.squaremileresearch.com, or by emailing us at info at mile Thanks very much. Uh,
1: This podcast is only aimed at professional advisors and regulated firms and should not be passed on to or relied upon by any other persons. It is not intended for retail investors who should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this podcast. Remembering past performance is not an indication of future performance. It is published by and remains the copyright of Square Mile Investment Consulting and Research. Square Mile makes no warranties or representations regarding the accuracy or completeness of the information contained herein. This podcast represents the views and forecasts of Square Mile at the date of issue and may be subject to change without reference or notification to you. Nothing in this podcast shall be deemed to constitute a regulated activity or an invitation or inducement to engage in investment activity
0: and it is not a recommendation to buy or sell any funds or investments that are mentioned during this podcast. Thank you.